0: You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. You know, we're finishing up our series, Re-Gift, where we're taking the concept that's typically understood as receiving a gift that's not really meaningful to you, so you, you wrap it up, put it in a different gift bag from which you receive it, and you pass it on to someone else. We're flipping that a little bit and considering things that are very important to us, very dear to us, meaningful that's come our way, and how we can share those with someone else and re-gift those qualities. And last week when we talked about time, it was really interesting. Some of you reached out via phone, email, text, and it was really cool to hear your stories and hear about how at home or at work, you're totally different when it comes to time. Time. Uh, your spouse really likes the clock, but you like that freedom to just be spontaneous and do whatever. You're more event-oriented. It was really neat to see that, and you told me how you were going to take steps forward to make sure you were re-gifting the time and t- time or- orientation that your spouse is a client to. You were going to re-gift that and make that intention- an intentional part of your life in 2018. That was really cool. So this morning, we're going to talk about regifting grace so we were at some friend's house not too long ago and there's a little girl she's got one of these iPads with a huge case on it in case they break it or drop it in water or whatever it won't ruin it and she's looking at something you can hear the video and the mom screams I'm in a different room she's like no 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 change that right now and the little girl says why and the mom says change it and she says what she says change it how just change it and I was thinking, oh my gosh, that's so true for you and I. And sometimes we hear about uh, these commands from the Bible or we hear this language that we're learning through church and it's like it's screaming at us, change it, change it, change it. And we're asking why, what or how? And I think it's like that with grace at times. We say, hey, you've got to embrace this great grace, this great gift of God. And then you've got to extend it to other people. And sometimes it begs the question from you and I, but how do you do that? I sit with people in my office all the time, sit across the desk from them, and I hear people say, hey, I don't know how to do this church thing. You're talking about mercy or love or grace, loving your enemies, extending mercy or grace. How do you do that? And we're always going, change it, change it, change it. So maybe that's uh, where you are this morning. So we've got a great opportunity for Jesus to come along and share a parable with us. And a parable, as many of you know, is just this short story that's meant to call surprise for the reader. So this morning, you and I as the readers, hopefully we can be surprised about a few of the details regarding grace and how you and I go about embracing it and extending it or taking this great gift and re-gifting it to someone else that's close in our lives or someone else who really needs a shot of grace in their lives. It actually comes from Matthew chapter 18, and we'll jump in at verse 23. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. What's interesting is that this guy owes 10,000 talents. You read some commentators on this and they'll say, hey, this was millions of dollars today. Some will say billions. And there's actually one guy who argues and says, no, 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 no. We're looking at zillions of dollars here. And to which you would reply, okay, I don't sin that much. I can't relate. No, 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 no. When you and I do not live up to this perfect standard that God has set out, we not only sin you and i repeatedly sin we actually become sin we are sin the idea of sin is missing the mark so day after day when we miss the mark of what god wants from us being created in his image we sin in essence we are sin so grace grace is a gift It cannot be earned. It's something that is freely sent your way. Whether you ask for it or not, it's there. If I could check in with you and ask you to write on your bulletin one word that would describe a sin, a mistake, a failure, something from the past that maybe still haunts you, haunted you for some years, or that's very troubling to you, how would you describe it in one word? And then my follow-up question would be, have you allowed God's grace to cover that? Or does it feel like zillions and zillions of dollars of debt? Does it seem impossible to make atonement or repayment for it? Do you feel the pressure and the burden of it? Grace can't be earned. It's a gift. Grace is not fair. Grace is not fair. This guy owes his master zillions and zillions of dollars. And the guy doesn't come along and say, okay, I want all of it back. And by this date... The guy cancels the debt and lets them go. It's not fair. So when you think about regifting grace, you've got to consider first and foremost, right up front, that grace, when it comes your way and when you're called to send it someone else's way, it's not going to be fair. And there lies the difficulty of regifting it. So this story goes on as Jesus tells it, and it teaches us how to embrace how to really embrace God's grace. You know, when I sit across my desk from people and there's tears streaming down their cheeks and I'm listening to their story, I get the impression more often than not, usually because they say it in these words, and if they don't, I can deduce that this is what's going on. They've never internalized God's grace. And it usually comes out in the form of 40-year-old, 50-year-old, 60-year-old, and they'll say, I still don't know who I am. And then they tell me some patterns of behavior or something that occurred in their life and they've never embraced this grace of God. So when they leave my office and they go back out into the world the workplace or wherever they're going, they're still a wreck. Life still doesn't make sense. Relationships still don't click. You get the impression as the story goes on, verse 28. But when that servant went out, the one who had been forgiven... Debt canceled, cleared. When he went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, some say that that 10,000 talents, if you were to put it in bags and line it up, it could stretch for miles and miles. But this 100 denarii, think about taking a few bucks and folding it, sliding it into your pocket. It would fit right there. So this guy's been forgiven a ton. He goes out, finds one of his servants who has a few bucks in his pocket. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. This strikes me as a guy who has never internalized this grace of God. He didn't get it when it was extended to him. So he goes out and he demands when I was a sophomore at Johnson Bible College, saw an interesting interaction between the professor and one of the students. Uh, one of the students was demanding a certain grade, even though the professor was docking his grade because of absences. And this guy was like, I've got a doctor's excuse. I know I've missed four days, but I've got a doctor's excuse. And the professor is very adamant, saying, no, 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 you're allowed to miss two days. And the guy's like, I've only missed two more Only four days and I've got a doctor's excuse. And the professor still docked his grade and I'll never forget the line. He says, when you read your syllabus, it clearly states that you're allowed to miss two days because we know that you're going to get sick. We know up front that you're going to have a bad day. We know up front that you're going to want to sleep in or that you'll need to be out of town or something will come out of left field and knock life a little off balance for you. And the professor said, that's why we go ahead and build grace into the system. And he still docked the guy's grade. Don't you love that line, though? Grace has been built into the system. That's true for you. God knows you're going to have a bad day. God knows you're going to mess up. God knows... You're not perfect. He builds this great gift of grace into the system. And I'm wondering if there's a hidden message in this parable. And this guy goes out and he demands this hundred bucks when he owes zillions of dollars. I wonder if there's a a point here that we're missing sometimes. That this guy never embraced it. He never realized it was built into the system. So he just ignores it. Maybe it's not applicable to him because of his debt being so much. He doesn't get it. And maybe that's true for you. You don't realize that this grace of God is applicable to you. And you can embrace it. And you can be forgiven. And it's clear. It's clean. The debt's canceled. Uh, Paul would say it like this in 2 Corinthians 6.1. We beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness or grace and then ignore it. And then ignore it. Like it doesn't play out more. Like you get it, you talk about it, you got change and all that. But you ignore what it actually means for your life. So you go out and you don't live like you've been changed by grace. You've never embraced it. So as a pastor, checking in with you, have you embraced God's grace? Have you internalized it? Have you allowed it to come in and cleanse and change and rewire the way you think relationally? Do you need to be gifted grace this morning? Is that your need? And some of you may say, yeah, 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 David, I follow you. But what I'm also hearing, though, is is that if you embrace it and it's all that and it's built into the system, how do you keep someone from abusing it? How does it literally change you? To which I would say, notice Jesus, how he continues with the story, verses 29 and 30. So his fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, hey, be patient with me and I'll pay you back the hundred denarii. But the servant refused. That word refused. Refused. We were sitting around as a family and we're looking at our words for 2018. And each of us were sharing in the family. What is a word moving into 2018 that we want to become a descriptive term for us and how we do life? We got the kiddos doing it, Michelle and I are doing it. So we go around the table and we get to Sophie and she says, Willing. I want to be more willing. She says, you guys, referring to me and Michelle, she says, when you guys ask me something, I want to ask me to do something. I want to be more willing. With my brother and my sister, I want to be more willing to play with him. I want to be more willing in 2018. This word he refused means not willing. Unwilling to extend grace. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay The debt. So I check in for some of you and ask, are you willing? And I bet there's a defining moment for some of you. And the baggage or the skeletons in your closet, I bet you have embraced God's grace. But when it comes to extending it, that's the challenge. Because you're looking at someone, you lock eyes with someone, and you know what they've done. And theoretically, you get that they deserve God's grace and all that. But when it actually comes to extending that, you're not too eager. You're not willing. And maybe some of you actually refuse to do it. Don Colbert in his book, Deadly Emotions, fantastic book talking about all these negative emotions and how they sear through our bodies and our organs like acid and cause all kinds of medical problems he writes this he says forgiveness which is wrapped up in god's grace forgiveness is not based on finding some redeeming quality that makes a person worth forgiving so if someone has offended you they've done damage to you physically or emotionally you're probably not going to find a quality in them that says, you know what? They finally reached the pinnacle. They are now worth my forgiveness. They are now worthy of me extending grace to them. It doesn't work that way because grace is a gift. And the guy in the story, he fails to re-gift this great amount of grace he's been given. So for you, the person that you're hung up on, That you're unwilling to forgive Or extend grace to You're probably not going to find A worthy quality in them to do it There's not going to be a moment where you say Okay now I can do it because they've done this And that's not how God Wants you to go about it So if you could write in your bulletin If you could write someone's name down Kind of like last week uh, Who would it be? Who would need You to re-gift God's grace God's grace who would it be for you? I like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, God's grace to me was not without effect. And the idea is it causes a different way of thinking. Grace generates a different way of thinking about people and about life. Uh, so a few weeks ago, actually on Thanksgiving Day, the phone rings. It's an eight-five. 859 number so I'm thinking oh somebody in town maybe someone from the church a better answer so I answer and it's Sirius XM radio because our subscription has run out we don't want to renew it we've listened to it like twice since we've had it just not our thing so they call on Thanksgiving day I hear the guy's voice and I don't know I'm a nice guy right You know that. I'm a nice guy. But in a not so nice way, as Michelle tells the story, I ask, I thought it was an okay tone, but I simply ask the question, why are you calling me on Thanksgiving? But Michelle says it didn't come out that way. It came out with a little different tone. And I'm sure it did, right? So why are you calling me on Thanksgiving? I'm flustered about that. It just runs all over me. Steve, can you relate? You get that. Yeah. It runs all over me. So I hang up the phone and Michelle says, I can answer your question. She said, I bet the guy's calling you on Thanksgiving because that's the job he has or maybe the only job he could get at the time to help feed his family. And I know some of you had pushed back on that, but for me, it made me feel like this tall. Because grace generates a different way of thinking about people. And it actually reminded me of when I was working third shift at a hotel before I came on staff here at Northeast. And I was working there so that I could feed my family. Grace generates a different way of thinking about yourself and about other people. There was this guy who was in a World War II Nazi death camp. And he describes life as every freedom had been stripped away, every single one of them. Had no idea what to expect except the lingering moment of death. Every freedom stripped away. But he finds himself on his knees in this death camp one day. And he's lost in thought. And it hits him that there's a gap that's created between what's happening and how I'm going to handle it. Actually, the guy telling this story, he words it like this. He saw there was a gap between what happened to him and his reaction. And in that gap lay the freedom to choose a response. So when you think about grace and you embrace it, and then you're challenged to extend it to someone else, oh, there's a gap, and we could say maybe even this service right here is a gap. And maybe you're in here and something's happened to you, and you know exactly who caused it. Here's a gap. And you have an opportunity to choose how you're going to respond. Because if you compare it maybe with what you wrote on the list earlier, what you've done, and then what's been done to you, you see that there's maybe an imbalance. And what you've done adds up to zillions and what's been done to you is about 100 bucks. And you're starting to see that, that God's grace gives you something. It gives you a way of thinking about other people so that you can take this great gift you've been given and re gifted to someone else. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to stand up because we're going to stand and worship in just a moment. I want you to go ahead and get ready. Go ahead and stand up. And as you're thinking about your life here in this moment, and as you're thinking about all that's occurred in your life, whether junk coming your way or junk that you've caused, and you think about God's grace and our Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ on a cross. And this Christmas season, we're reminded that he became a baby, but it was never intended for Jesus to become a baby. It was intended for Jesus to start out as a a baby, but then become sin for you and for me and to take our place and gift us grace. Not because we were worthy of it, not because we could earn it, but because he wanted to. He looked out at humanity created in his image. And saw the soul of every human being, past, present, and future. And remembered that the soul has worth. And that in and of itself should cause us to fall on our knees and praise him for what we've been given. So as you're thinking about the grace that you've embraced over the years. What you've been forgiven of and the junk that's now gone and he's taken care of. Here's what I want us to do. And if you're not there yet, I want to chat with you after service. But if you're there, I want to hear you in full voice. Dave Ramsey made this very popular. He works with people every single day. And what does he help them do? He helps them get out of debt. Now, the problem is you and I, we can't do that by ourselves. It takes this grace of God generating and working in us to do that. We can't do it alone. But what Dave has done to give people a shot of momentum as they move forward in their financial life, it was when they come and they realize, hey, I'm debt free, they give a huge debt free scream. They say, I'm debt free. And it's cleansing and therapeutic and releasing and empowering. And that's what I want us to experience this morning because right now, here's a gap. Here's a gap. And you can choose your response moving forward. But right now, full voice, knowing what's been in your past and it's now gone. On the count of three, let's proclaim, I'm debt free. One, two, three. I'm debt free. Just like the guy in the story. Just like the guy in the story. You've got zillions of stuff that God could label sin. But he looks at you. And he cancels the dead you're debt free this morning or you can be but Father we thank you we thank you for this great gift of grace and I pray that every single person in here every soul has felt its worth and embraced that grace and that now we're cleansed and we're made new in Jesus Christ And Father, if there's any hearts in here that are still heavy, they're unwilling to extend that grace because they've never really embraced it themselves. I pray that they make the necessary step coming forward, Father, so we can chat and get them on the right path and work through whatever is going on so that everyone that makes up Northeast Christian Church and everyone who comes here, Father, knows that this is a place of grace where we embrace it and we extend it and that's how we live. So, Father, as we prepare our hearts to sing praise to you, I pray that we can do so as men and women, debt-free because of Jesus Christ. In his name, amen.